I'm excited to share with you that over the next five weeks, we're going to be digging into Paul's letter to the, to the Colossians, and we're going to focus on a few things over the next five weeks. We're going to focus on things uh, like leaving our old lives behind. We're going to focus on marriage. We're going to focus on parenting and grandparenting. We're going to focus on work and living a life of faith among non-Christ followers. And just as I was reading through Colossians again this morning, there's so much in this just this one chapter that I could preach for an hour. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So cancel your lunch, cancel your brunch, sit down. I'm kidding. All right, don't go anywhere. I'll keep it the normal. Uh, but uh, here's what we want to do. do. We want to just start off by reading the first seven verses out of here. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Colossians. If you want to use the UVer app on your phone, feel free to do that, or you can read the verses right off the screen as well, too. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, this is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. Paul's thanksgiving and prayer. He says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And so in this letter, out of these first three, out of these first few verses, I want to answer three questions today. One, who are they? Meaning who is Paul? Who is Timothy? Who is Epaphras? And who are the Colossians? And what can we learn about them from this letter? The second one is who is Christ Jesus? Since it says that they're, that's who their faith was in. And that may seem rudimentary, but, but I never want to get away from always going back to who truly is Christ Jesus. And then the last one is, what does this have to do with us? When we walk away from here today, going back to work or to school tomorrow, what does it look like for us? And so the first one, who, is, who are they? Who is Paul? Well, Paul, who the, who's the author of Colossians, was a very religious person. All right, now you would look at Paul's life, and you know, before he actually became a Christian, you would have looked at Paul's life and you would have said, all right, if anybody's going to heaven, Paul's going to heaven because he does all the right things. Like he knew everything. He knew the scriptures inside and out. He was born in the right family. He, you know, he spent his life devoted. It had appeared that God had blessed him. And yet, he didn't believe in Jesus. He lived his life apart from a relationship with Jesus. Now, he believed that Jesus existed, but he didn't believe that Jesus was God, that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And, and he thought that this was an abomination uh, to the true religion, which was Judaism. And he took it so far as to the point where he persecuted to the point of murdering Christians. 
And so Paul is on his way to do what he does to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus. He has an encounter with the risen, resurrected Christ Jesus. And this encounter radically changed him. In that moment, he realized that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the savior of the world. And it changed him forever. And what I love is that verse one says that this was by the will of God, which shows that oftentimes, even in spite of our purposes in spite of our direction, God's will will always be done. Paul was heading to persecute Christian, and because of the will of God, he saved him, and he actually uh, turned his life around, and Paul became one of the greatest spokesmen for Jesus and for the gospel and for Christianity ever. And so Paul could relate to the Colossians because he knew what it meant to have a conversion experience. This was a new church. This wasn't some former believers that started a church. No, these were new believers. They were all changed by the gospel. And they weren't sure how to live this life following Jesus. So Paul, in this letter, gives them encouragement. He gives them wisdom. He gives them teaching. Timothy, who is the co-author of Colossians, was a close friend of Paul and he was a co-partner in ministry. They had traveled together and they had an impact in many churches, including the church in Colossae. Now, Epaphras is very important as well, too. It says that Epaphras is the one who brought the hope of Jesus to the Colossians. Epaphras, not the most popular contemporary Bible name anymore, not like John or Mark. This is John, this is Mark, this is Paul, this is Epaphras, okay, not, not that popular anymore, but still important. And then the last one is, who are the Colossians? Who are the Colossians? So as a result of their ministry of Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, the church in the city of Colossae, which was a city in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, this was a large city. It was known for its trade. It was a very affluent city. It was home of many different religions and philosophies. Uh, they became believers. And Paul addresses them this way. He says, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So two things stick out to me from this. And the first one is that he calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. And this wasn't a term, a term of endearment. He, he was saying, literally, you are brothers and sisters with Paul and Timothy and each other because of their relationship with Jesus. Now, it's a popular saying that we're all God's children, right? Um, I hear that a lot, especially from students. But, but the apostle, the Bible never actually says that. Now, we're all created in the image of God. We are all God's creation. We all bear his likeness. But the Apostle John said in his account of Jesus' life, he records, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, speaking of Jesus, Jesus gave them the right to become children of God. So only those who have placed their faith in Jesus and have a saving relationship with him are God's true children. Therefore, as God's children, we who believe and follow Jesus are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that which should challenge us in, in the way that we often treat one another, right? Do you treat one another as though you're, they're your brother or sister? Now, you might be a kid in here, and you think, no, actually, I treat most people better than my brother or sister, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in true, loving family relationships, do we treat one another within the walls of this church, within this community, as brothers and sisters? The second thing is that Paul says that they are holy, right? Which, which is kind of a church word, and holy can 
can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but holy in, this, in, in the biblical context means this. It means two things. One, it means made perfect in the sight of God. Not holy because they were perfect. There is no perfect church. If there was a perfect church, you wouldn't be allowed to attend and I wouldn't be allowed to work there. Right? We all have our mistakes. Even though we are forgiven and we are, we are justified in the sight of God, we still walk through, through life carrying sin. Now, they were holy because of their forgiving and their sanctifying relationship with Jesus. We can never be made holy by our own efforts. Our only hope for living righteously is to allow the only righteous presence in this universe to live through us. Our holiness is a byproduct. It's the, it's the end and not the means. It's the byproduct of knowing and following Jesus. Paul says this in Colossians verses 9 through 10 in the first chapter. He says, We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, then the ways you, will li- you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Paul says that God gives us spiritual wisdom and understanding, which then leads to holy living. If there's a deficiency in your life as a Christian, look at your relationship with Jesus, not your behavior. Because Paul never prays, not once does he ever pray, that we would just try harder And that we would just get this Christian thing right for once. This is not like white-knuckled religion where you just hang on, you just try harder, you just got to do the right things, you got to pick yourself up and do better next time. No, no, what Paul is saying is that through our relationship with Jesus, the outflow of that is righteous, holy living. Holy also means set apart, that they were very different. Paul was extremely thankful for his church because of how they were living their lives with each other and among those who did not call themselves Christ followers. It said that they had a love for all of God's people in verse four. Is this who we are, chapel? Is this who we are? Do we have a love for all of God's people or is our love divisive? Or do we, put quali- do we attach qualifiers to those love? Like we love those who, who believe like us, who vote like us, who have the same stance on moral issues like us. Or do we love everyone, all of God's people? How about if Paul were writing this letter to the chapel? Would he say that we are like the Colossian church, a church that he's thankful for and one that's full of faith and hope and love? Because the Colossian church made an impact both inside and outside of its walls. And it all has to do with the quality that they were known for, the first quality. Paul says this in in, in verse four, he says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. It was their faith. Have you ever had somebody say something or they come up to you and they're like, hey, I heard about you. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, (laughs) are you a cop? What'd you hear, right? Our our defenses immediately go up because we often assume that it's bad, right? If I'm like, if I see like a high school student, they're like, hey, I heard about you. I'm like, oh, like the great youth leader. They're like, no, didn't you used to bring donuts to be lunch at the high school? I'm like, yeah, that's me. Or they're like, hey, aren't you Carter's dad? I'm like, wait, what'd he do? What do you, I got to give you some money? Do I got to go to school? What do you do, right? No, my kids are good. They better keep it that way too. Uh, but, but he had heard about them. He's like, I heard something about you. I heard about your faith. And that faith caused them to live differently because in our bottom line, the one thing that I want you to walk away with today is this, that the outcome of your faith determines the, I'm sorry, the object of your faith 
determines the outcome of your lives. Now, some of us here may have a different story from the Colossians. You wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower, which if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or even religious, first of all, thank you so much for being here. This is a home for you. This is a place where you can come and you can grow and you can explore and you can wrestle through those obstacles that you have. You are welcome here. Maybe it's because of your church background. Maybe you were hurt by the church. Maybe it's because you've never been to church before. Maybe it's because you adopted your parents' faith growing up, but you never made it your own. And so then when you went, graduated from high school, you graduated from youth group, you graduated from your faith, it was very easy to walk away. Or, or maybe some of you are just here searching and you're trying to figure out if this Jesus thing is even real. <clears throat> but regardless of what you believe, we all have faith in something. We, we all, because another word that you could use for faith is trust. Whether we recognize it or not, we all have something that we trust in that gives us significance or value or worth. And every single day, the object of that trust or that faith determines the outcome of our lives. Let me ask you this. Think to yourself, what's the most important thing to you? What's that thing that if it was taken away, you weren't, you're not sure if you, could, if you could go on? What captures your thoughts? What captures your thoughts when you're driving and, and the radio's off? What captures your thoughts when you wake up in the morning? What's going through your mind when you can't sleep at night and you just can't get those thoughts out of your head? What is it that you think about that you, day, that you just daydream about? That could very well be the foundation of your hope. And the outcome of that may be full of meaning and it may be full of purpose or it may be full of emptiness and it may be full of, of striving. But when that foundation is based upon the understanding of the deep love of Jesus and a true, and under, of a true understanding of who he is as the one and only true God, then the result, the outcome is that you shift from a dependence on your own understanding and begin a dependence on Jesus' understanding. You are determined to live what Jesus teaches, not just know and not just believe what Jesus teaches. And some of you might think, like, why would you do that? Why would you base your life upon Jesus? So many people would say, that's just absolutely crazy. You know, they would say, oh, look, Jesus was a good teacher, right? He was a wise person. He was nice. Some of the things he said are great, but you're gonna base your life on everything? Well, that depends on your view of Jesus, doesn't it? Which I think is where a disconnect is for many people and also a lot of Christians. And so who is Jesus? Because if you ask 100 people, you'll probably get 100 different answers. Sometimes we think Jesus is kind of like Build-A-Bear, Right? If you've ever been to Build-A-Bear, first of all, I'm sorry. If you've ever been to Build-A-Bear, basically you get to pick a plush animal and make it however you want. You can put whatever clothes on it, accessories. You can put as much filling in it as you want. You get to design your own plush animal. And I think a lot of times we make Jesus like that, right? We, we make him who we want him to be. But we don't get to create our own version of Jesus, because when we do, we're going to end up with a comfortable Jesus, one that fits perfectly into our lives as they currently are. And he will approve of everything we approve of, and he will disapprove of everything we approve of, and we'll never do anything that offends him. So instead of us projecting our personal beliefs, desires, and opinions onto Jesus, 
Let's just let the text speak for itself. And so who is Christ Jesus? Jesus is our creator. In Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it says that all things were created through him and he holds all things together. Now, if that's true, if everything was created through him and he holds it all together, then none of this is ours, none of it. Not your money, not your time, not your body, not your house, not your car, not your thoughts, not your relationships, not your sexuality, not your freedom, nothing, not your life, nothing. There's a, there's a joke about a guy and he's contending with God one day and he says, God, I can do anything that you can do. And God says, oh yeah? And the guy says, yeah, I could create a man out of the dust just like you created Adam from the dust. And God's like, okay, go ahead. And so the guy fiercely gets on the ground and he's gathering dust together and he's starting to pile it up and trying to make something out of it. And God goes, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. The guy says, what? God says, get your own dirt. <laughs> right? We think, that we, we think that, that we can just do what we want with God's stuff. You know, we don't live like this though, right? I know I don't, I'm so possessive. It's not even my stuff. Who am I to tell God what I'm gonna do with what rightfully belongs to him? Jesus is the creator. Everything belongs to him, including us in our lives. The second one is that Jesus Christ is our king. All things were created for him. Now, the word king, that doesn't hold a lot of weight for me. You know, we don't understand that in our country. We have a president, but we are, in our country, we can disrespect him, and, and we actually choose whether or not we respect his authority and leadership. But kings, though, this is a different story, especially at the time when this letter was written. Kings have absolute power. They, they, they dictate laws and punishments as they see fit. They have the means to utilize that power, and they are not subject to any earthly authority. They are not subject to the will of their people. And so if Jesus is king, and we are not our own, then we belong to him. But the beautiful thing about that is that unlike earthly kingships that can often be corrupt and bring death to people, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Following Jesus opens the door, submitting to him opens the door for us to have a life and a life greater than anything that you could have imagined. We, it's, it calls Jesus Lord in verse three. And a lot of us, I think, know him as Savior, but we don't know him as Lord, right? We wanna trust Jesus for our salvation, but we don't wanna trust him for the rest of our life. In the Gospels, Thomas, the one who doubted the disciple, when he sees the resurrected Jesus, or, and he sees the holes in his hands and he sees the, the spear hole in his side, and he realized that, that this is the true resurrected Jesus. This isn't a hallucination. This isn't a ghost. He says, my Lord and my God. And he's not being redundant. He's saying, okay, not only are you God and you've proven it because you've walked out of the grave, but you're Lord, you're boss. If you're God, and I'm yours, I don't get to call the shots anymore, you do. And I would plead with you to take this seriously. Because a day is coming when every single person is gonna stand before that king, before Jesus. It will either be the most wonderful moment or the most terrifying moment of your entire existence. You will either experience eternal suffering because you are Jesus' enemy, or you will experience eternal joy because you are forgiven. Maybe you're here and you're like, whoa, 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 
I, I am not, I'm, I, believe, I don't believe in Jesus, but I don't have anything against him. I'm not his enemy, all right? I'm neutral here. I don't have a problem with people that believe in him or anything like that. But Paul writes in verse 21 about the Colossians before they were believers in Jesus. He says this, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Unfortunately, there's no neutral ground here. You're either in or you're out. And I know that that's not comfortable, and I know that that's not politically correct, and it's not tolerant, and it's not inclusive, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. Just because we don't like something doesn't mean that it isn't true. I can't stand here and try to protect you from something that we all need to hear and maybe even hear again. And so I would plead with you to not get this wrong. Don't go to sleep tonight without thinking that you have to take this seriously or that you don't have to take this seriously. There's nothing more dangerous than getting this wrong. I say this to you because it's true. Even if we don't like it, it doesn't take away the fact that it's true. And I say this to you because I care. Paul writes in verse 28, he says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone with all the wisdom that God has given to us. I felt the call in my life a decade ago to preach the truth and the good news of Jesus to you, and I don't take that lightly, and so I will never stand up here and lie to you. So what do you do? Will you stand before the king one day condemned as God's enemy because of the sin that we all have and suffer the penalty of that sin by being separated from Jesus, from love, from joy, and from those you love forever? Or will you stand humbled and forgiven by the amazing grace of God's love through Jesus and enter into an eternity of joy and peace and love? Because you and I were created for a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with Christ Jesus. And yet because of our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions, we are separated from him. And this isn't something we can fix. This is not something you can fix by church attendance or by reading the Bible or by getting baptized or by giving money or going to a foundations class. This is too big for humans. Only God could fix this. And that's just what he did. Because God through Jesus, looked upon us. And though he could have done nothing, he could have done nothing. He could have looked at us and said, you've done this, you're on your own, and wiped his hands clean from us, and he would have been completely just in doing that. But God is not just, God is not fair. God is filled with grace. And he looked at you, and he looked at me, and in his great mercy and his love for us, he took the step to fix it. He took the step to reconcile it. Because of Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled. Because of what we did on the cross, we who are far away from God can be reconciled with him. Again, in Colossians, it says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You know, it's one thing to forgive and to reconcile a relationship with somebody who's remorseful. If somebody's harmed you and they're sorry and they, they ask for forgiveness and they wanna make amends, but, but we were not in that position. 
We were enemies. We were lost in our sin. In the book of Romans, it says this, in chapter five, verse eight, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us we were, while we were still sinners. That's love. And because of that, we can be forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the good news, right? We often talk about sharing our faith, and I think some people are like, don't give me your faith. Give me good news, right? What has happened that has changed things? Right? If there was a legitimate cure for a terminal illness and we knew what it was, we wouldn't be able to stop telling people, and yet this is so much greater than that. And at the end of the day, that's what my faith is in. And the, ob- the object of my faith is Jesus, and the outcome of that faith is to love God and to love others, and not perfectly. You can ask those close to me, and they would tell you that I, I fail at that, but it's, but it's continuing to move forward. The object of our faith determines the outcome of our lives. So what does that mean for you tomorrow? What does that mean for you this week? What does this have to do with us? Well, you may have seen this before, and this, is, this infographic is sort of how we want to help people to move one step forward to God and each other through Jesus. We talk about that all the time, that that's our mission. This is what it looks like. And we, we, we see people traveling in the circle, and it's not perfect. You might go part way and then come back and then go further and move around or go around twice. It's never just linear. But this is, this is some steps that you could take. This is a way that you can change because we could nod our heads and we could say, okay, this is easy. You know, of, of course, those are the marks of, a, marks of a Christ follower, faith, hope, love, peace, forgiveness. But there's no, of course, about our calling to personally and corporately live these things out. A life that's marked by compassion, by truth, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Sure, we can agree with it. We can understand it. But how do we live this out? Well, first, you've got to ask yourself the question, where are you? Are you here today and, and you don't have that faith? You don't have that hope? You don't know what the, what the object of, the, of your faith is in your life? Or maybe you know it and it's let you down over and over and over again and it's empty? Where are you? You know, if you're just exploring your relationship with Jesus, then maybe your next step is to simply commit to coming here every week. And to hear this truth from the book of Colossians and to learn about Jesus. If you're a student in middle school or high school, maybe your next step is is to be a part of Ignite or to be a part of 180 to grow with your peers. And maybe you're in high school and you're like, I don't know if 180 is going to be cool, maybe it's boring. Like, we're going to ride a bull, okay? Like, what do you want, all right? There's food. It's awesome. We would love to have you be a part of that so that you can take those next steps as a student. I would also like to invite you to join us for our foundations class, which is coming up in November. I took foundations about 10 years ago with Pastor Bill, and it was one of the most foundational things that I've ever taken as far as my growth as a follower of Jesus. Or maybe your next step is to commit to just reading this chapter, a chapter of Colossians each week and then signing up for our Beyond the Weekend devotions that are sent out three times a week. You know, if you're a student, we have two fall retreats coming up for both high school and middle school, and I would challenge you to be a part of those because it's a way to take a massive step following Jesus and following, other, or following Jesus, loving God and loving others. Maybe it's being a part of a baptism. Maybe, it's, maybe that's the step that you are ready to take in your life where you've committed your life to Jesus, but now it's time to make a public declaration of that. Maybe that step... Maybe your next step is to committing the Bible verse that we're going to read here at the end of the service during our benediction time. Maybe for you, it's time to have some influence. 
Maybe your way of sharing influence is by posting a truth from today or, or a verse from Colossians on social media and engaging with people who either like or comment on it and starting a real conversation. Maybe, it's, maybe you're ready to invite that friend or that neighbor or that relative to a service here. Well, on November 23rd and 24th, we're going to have a special message focused on salvation and baptism celebrations where you can hear, you and your friends and your family can hear the lives uh, or the stories of lives who have been changed through these truths. And so today, let's walk away asking ourselves this. Are we like that Colossian church? Are we growing in our love for God and for others? And so we're going to close this service with a couple things. We're going to close with a, with a new song, and, and Jeremy and, and Linda are going to come out here, and they're going to lead that. And these lyrics in this song remind us of who Christ is and what a difference he can make in our lives when we recognize and receive Christ as our, as our creator, as our king, and as our reconciler. And so we would invite you just to stay in your seats and to take this time and maybe to sit and to sing along or to read the words or to pray or to ask yourself, where am I at in my life? Where is my trust? What is it placed in? Maybe it's time that you really considered that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're like, maybe I am God's enemy. Maybe it's time to reach out for that reconciliation. What are your next steps? Let's take this time to consider that.